0: Now, before we look into the Word, shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us together, together, as a group of men, as a group of your servants, that we might come together to meditate upon those things that you've recorded in your Word. And we pray, Father, that they might, uh, the things that are said today, might be used of you to just draw us closer to yourself, and might there be something that is said or something that is brought out in the discussion that will cause us to realize even more fully our responsibility of handling your word uh right and how we thank you father for those that were faithful in the uh, keeping the doctrine pure when they were teaching us that we had the opportunity to come to know the word rightly divided and so might we be faithful in that ministry of uh, preaching to others and showing them uh, thy precious word for this age so guide and direct us now as we look into Thy word and we'll give you the praise for we ask it in our savior's name with thanksgiving amen now The subject matter that I will be taking up will just be falling right on uh, the heels of what our brother Bergener just finished. We have uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 16. And so, as an introduction, let's just read that uh, passage of Scripture that we might be familiar with what uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to this young uh, pastor. And starting with verse 10 of chapter 1, we read, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, Especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, <coughs> teaching things that they ought not, for filthy lookers' sake. One of them uh, self, even a prophet of their own, saith, The Christians are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind is corrupt, uh, even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and to every good work reprobate now we see that as uh, we've just uh, noticed as we start into this chapter one of the book of titus that uh, titus is uh, paul is talking to titus concerning uh the uh, faithful operation of the church and we've seen the faithful operation or the orderly operation of the governmental part of the church but now in this uh, uh, section that we're wanting to look at in the last half of this chapter we find that paul is uh, more concerned now or he's uh, giving his attention to the fact that there should be orderly teaching as well. And there should be a a healthy, orderly teaching of what he calls the truth. And so we notice in uh, verses 6 through uh, 9 where the uh, apostle tells the requirements of the bishop or the elder or that one who is going to be ministering the word. And uh, so then we find that in verse 14 of our section, he says there that, uh, they should not give heed to Jewish fables or commandments of men, which turn uh, men away from uh, the truth. The truth. This is the thing that Paul was more uh, interested in uh, than anything else. As we look at some of his letters, and especially to, the letter to uh, his letters to Timothy, that he, we can read in Timothy and find uh, Paul's heartbeat, as it were, uh, concerning this doctrine and the, the uh, weight that it had upon him and how he was looking at the doctrine. But he tells us here that they should take heed to the truth. Well, how are we going to recognize the truth? This is the thing I think that we have to concern ourselves with, is the recognition of the truth. And uh, Paul has much to say about the truth, but let's go back to the book of Timothy, uh, first of all, the first Timothy. And we'll see some things that Paul had on his heart as we feel the pulse of Paul as he brings out this... Uh, message that is on his heart and how he's admonishing, uh, this young uh, pastor Timothy. And we see that it's very closely related to what he's admonishing, uh, the young pastor Titus in our, in our text. But for, uh, noticing one thing as we start in, uh, 1st Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, where Paul is talking here concerning, uh, God's desire, and he says, God who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, it's uh, fundamental that the person's uh, his first need is salvation. That's the first thing. All men must be saved. But after salvation, the main thing that Paul is saying here is that they come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, what is the truth that Paul is talking about? And this is what I think we should uh, concern ourselves as we look at this. Now, you see in, in our uh, Timothy, or in our Titus text, as you look in verse 11, we find here that we have uh, some of these men, who were evidently Jewish believers, who uh, were teaching things that they shouldn't teach. And they were subverting men. And we find that uh, the Apostle Paul says that they were teaching things that they ought not to teach. Well, what were the things that they are, were not to teach? Well, he goes down into verse uh, 14, and he tells us they were Jewish fable, and they were commandments of men. And these were the things that uh, they were teaching. And these were the things that were going to turn men, whole household, uh, turn men from the truth. And so he also says that because of this, they had to have their mouths stopped. They shouldn't be teaching these things, which are going to pervert or change uh, that teaching, which Paul calls the truth. So let's just uh, go back a little bit and see what Paul actually says. And He starts out very from the very beginning when he's talking to Timothy in uh, his epistle. The very first thing he gets out is doctrine 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 all the way down the line and let's just notice a few of these things and see how paul uh handles this and and how he feels concerning this doctrine let's start in first timothy chapter one and notice our first uh one would be in uh verse three and we read in verse three of chapter one first timothy it says that i besought thee uh, to abide still at ephesus when i went to uh, macedonia that thou might charge some that they teach no other doctrine From the very outset, Paul's concerned with the doctrine, the doctrine. Now, what doctrine is he talking about? Well, he's talking about that body of truth that he received from our risen Lord, that body of truth which he calls the mystery, that body of truth which he speaks of in Romans 16.25 is my gospel, and many other places he talks about it being the truth. And this is the uh, whole import and the whole uh, uh, message that we have Paul talking about, in uh, uh, his letters to Timothy and he's told this to Titus and that's what we're thinking about let's be healthy in the doctrine remembering the truth and holding the truth fast all right he sees here that he says that they are to teach no other doctrine oh well, we know that if we go back to the Galatians epistle we find where Paul tells the Galatians there that if anyone would come myself or an angel would come and preach any other doctrine let him be accursed this is the truth for this age and it's that message that we have to hold true And if we're going to be sound in the faith and the faith and the truth run parallel they're the same thing and if we're going to be true in the faith we have to be sure that we're teaching the truth and this has to do with that body of truth that paul received from the lord uh that body of truth which he calls the mystery the secret that which was not made known before until it was revealed to the apostle paul then we can go right on down in this text and we come to verse six uh uh, first uh, timothy uh let's go over to chapter Well, we could go right on through here, many, and we won't take them all. But you can notice uh, the whole thing is teaching. In verse ten, he's talking about sound doctrine. In verse eleven, he talks about the glorious gospel uh, which was committed unto my trust. Here we find that Paul is speaking about uh, a special revelation that he had. That doctrine that was committed to his trust, and we see that this is that same body of truth that Paul is talking about—the truth, that mystery that he had received. That. A message for this age than uh, which we're living now. If we go uh, on over to chapter 4, and uh, you can re- if you go through and check your Bibles, uh, uh, all of these things uh, that we find in all these different verses down concerning the mystery, concerning teaching, concerning holding the truth, you'll see that this whole context is followed all the way down through this letter to Timothy. But going over to chapter 4 of 1st Timothy, let's notice. Uh, in verse 16 where we find here that paul says take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine here again it's this idea of timothy be careful now watch make sure that your doctrine is what it should be make sure that you're holding fast that body of truth uh, which was uh, which was committed to me which i have committed to you and we'll find that Uh, as we continue on looking through this section of scripture we'll find that uh, Paul talks about this many times but let's go on over now into chapter uh, 6 and uh, let's notice in verse 20 where we have Paul concluding this letter now and he's saying O Timothy keep or that word is guard protect guard O Timothy guard that which is committed to thy trust avoid profane and vain babblings and so forth What had been committed to Timothy's trust? Well, it was this doctrine that Paul had received from the Lord. Paul now was ready to lay down uh, uh, his life, as it were, and it was time now to hand the uh, torch over to young Timothy, and Timothy was going to be the recipient of this body of truth that Paul had received, and now it was Timothy that was to guard it and protect it and to carry it forth. And as we have uh, Paul uh, uh, writing to Timothy in uh, his second uh, epistle, where he talks about, that he should commit this unto faithful men who are able to commit it to other faithful men who are able to teach others it's going to be a process now of handing it down uh, to men to other faithful men and timothy now was the one who was receiving it he was to get this deposit of this uh body of truth. and paul says now timothy you guard it i protected this i took care of it i kept it pure i didn't allow these jewish fables or commandments of men to enter in and to uh, contaminate this uh, gospel I'll keep it pure now Timothy you guard it guard that which is committed unto thy trust and then he goes right on into his second epistle and he carries the same theme again he picks it right on up and he goes right on down now if you want to look at this word guard or keep uh, that which is committed Paul uses this again in Second uh, Timothy chapter 4 uh, 7 where he talks about he had kept the faith and he had protected it in chapter 4 verse 7 Paul, uh, of Second Timothy, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept, or I have guarded, I have protected the faith, that body of truth, that doctrine. He protected it. Now, Timothy, you protect it. But now let's go back to the first chapter of Second Timothy, and let's notice a couple of other things that are interesting here. And we go down uh, into this uh, first few verses, and you find in verse 80, talking about the gospel, and you talk again Uh, Down in verse 10, he's talking about, uh, in light of the uh, gospel. And then in verse 11, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And this all has to do with doctrine. But verse 12 is what I want us to look at. Now, I'm uh, disappointed in our King James translation uh, uh, of this verse, because uh, this is not what uh, we generally, uh, what we generally read here. Is most people assume that this verse is talking about security. Or if we read it in the King James Version it says for the which cause I also suffer these things nevertheless I am not ashamed for I know whom I uh, have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day that's not what that verse says that verse says that uh, uh, that uh, it's not that Paul had committed something to God and, and God was uh, some way Paul was confident that God was able to keep that which he committed to him many people are uh, implying that that was his salvation or that was his life he'd committed himself to god and god was able to keep it that's not what the verse teaches now if you use the rs uh, the uh, rsv version here's the way it reads it says but i am not ashamed for i know whom i have believed and i am sure that he is able to guard until that day that uh, what he has entrusted unto me and that's more of the context in the new english bible we read but i am not ashamed of it because i know who it is and whom i have trusted and am confident of his power to keep safe that uh, what he has put into my charge until the great day the whole idea is this doctrine that paul had received and paul says that he's confident that god is able to keep that which he's entrusted to paul god's able to keep it uh, safe and paul says i've guarded it and i've kept it safe now timothy you guard it and you keep it safe And what would be a better uh, translation here for King King James if we were to read it. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which he has committed unto me against that day. It was something that God had committed to Paul. And Paul says, I know that he's able to keep it. And so then he goes right on down to verse 13. He says, therefore, Timothy, now hold fast that form of sound words. And uh, then in verse fourteen, that good thing which was committed unto thee, guard it, Timothy. That precious deposit, that deposit of the truth, that body of uh, doctrine that Paul received from the Lord. Paul says, "I've kept it. Now I'm giving it to you, Timothy. Now you guard it and you keep it. That precious deposit, that good thing, as we have in verse fourteen, that good thing which thou which has been committed unto thee, guard it, guard it." I think we can make an application here, can we not? Aren't we the recipients of this body of truth, the same as Timothy was? Don't we have the responsibility to guard it and to protect it and to keep it pure? This is the whole uh, import of this uh, pastoral epistles, And even into uh, Titus, we find that he's talking about the same thing, that Titus was to guard that which he uh, had. And he was to protect it from those that were teaching error. And when he found those that were teaching error, he was to uh, uh, close their mouths, as it were, that they were not to uh, teach these things. And then we go on over in Second Timothy to that verse we mentioned before, in 2 Second Timothy 2.2, 2, where it says, And the things that thou hast uh, heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men who is able to teach others also. And so here we find that here is our responsibility to teach, to teach others and to be sure that they are trained to teach. And I think here's where we make a mistake as pastors. We never really train our people to teach others. We have the idea that the pastor should stand behind the pulpit and to teach and to minister and just give out the word in a general way. But do we ever take that young man and disciple him and bring him in alongside and train him to be a teacher of others? I wonder if we really miss it. And this is why I like the Just Program, and I know many of you fellows are involved in it, in uh, teaching young men, bringing them in, and training them to be teachers, to be the ones who are going to carry forth this doctrine. Who's going to fill our shoes when we're not here? We have a responsibility to meet this generation, but what about the next generation? If we don't train people, uh, young men, to handle the word aright, right, and if we don't uh, instruct them to guard, as, as Paul was doing to Timothy and to Titus, if we don't instruct them to guard it and tell them what it is, how are they going to carry on? We we're so concerned with getting into neo evangelicalism and so forth. But are we really training our young people to teach others so that they'll know the truth and not be led astray? Well, someday we're going to have to turn the pulpits over to these young men, and if they're not uh, prepared and if they're not trained, uh, we're going to find that they're going to slip right into some of these uh, doctrines that Paul is uh, talking about here. And then with all this admonition that Paul gives to Timothy as he's writing on, then he leads up to 2 Timothy 2.15. Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, now this brings us to a real question. You know, a lot of people have uh, a lot of ideas of how they're going to rightly divide the word of truth. And you talk to some people, and they say, "Well, our King James version that says already tells us. You look right in the front uh, part just before Matthew, and you see it says the New Testament. So the dividing of the word is between the Old Testament and the New Testament." Well, I'm not sure that that's what Paul had in mind. First of all, that's not a very true division of the Bible to start with, because the New Testament does not begin with Matthew uh, chapter 1. The New Testament, uh, if we're going to be real technical, we couldn't begin it until the cross. And the cross doesn't come until the end of the gospel. What do you do with Galatians 4.4? 4, 4, it says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Uh, Christ was an Old Testament personality. He lived under the law, and the whole gospel record is the law. And it's not until we come to the cross that we have uh, the New Testament beginning, if we want to consider that the blood of the New Testament was shed on the cross. So this uh, division that our brothers have made when they set up our King James Version is not a true one. It has another error also, because the Old Testament didn't begin in Genesis 1-1. The Old Testament didn't begin until Exodus Exodus chapter 20. So that's not the way that we're to rightly divide the word. There must be something else. Well, you can hear any number of different ways, but you know, God never asks anything of anyone unless he gives them the instruction and the the ability to to take care of them to do it. Now, I believe that when God uh, told, uh, or when the Holy Spirit instructed Paul to write this to Timothy, to rightly divide the word of truth, I believe that we can go to the Bible and find the method of how to rightly divide the word of truth so we'll know what the truth really is. Now, let's go, if you will, back to Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Let's go to Acts 3, 21. Now, here's Peter speaking, and he's uh, speaking concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 3.21 we read, concerning Christ, it says, Whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has uh, has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. Now, notice that little phrase, since the world began. And we find here that there is a body of truth which has been made known since the world began. This has to do with that prophetic program. It has to do with God's program uh, for the earth and israel's relationship and position in that program this is that body of truth which was made known since the world began and so then let us go now if you will to romans 16:25 and let us notice the statement that the apostle paul makes and remember that little phrase since the world began we've seen there is a body of truth that was made known since the world began now notice what paul says in romans 16 verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, and I believe that word and can be even, even the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Now here we have a body of truth in Acts uh, 3.21 that was made known since the world began. Now Paul says, I have a body of truth that was kept secret since the world began. Now this is the method of rightly dividing the word. Dividing that which was made known since the world began from that which was kept secret since the world began. And if we keep this in mind, we'll have no problem of mixing part of the uh, truth of the prophetic program and bringing it over into that which is a secret program. This is what we need to do in our rightly dividing the word, and this is going to help us to understand how to uh, recognize the truth. And that's what Paul is talking about. We should recognize the truth, and we can, by rightly dividing between that which was made known since the world uh, began and that which was kept secret since the world began. Now, if we know how to recognize the truth, then we have to have another situation because Paul admonishes uh, Titus in our uh, text that we're thinking about. He admonishes Titus that after he has known the truth, and we see some that are teaching falsely that he is to rebuke them. Now, there weren't only false teachers in Timothy and Titus' day, and it's not only to Titus that this uh, uh, rebuke is made or that this uh, encouragement is made to rebuke them who are teaching false error or to teaching uh, Jewish fables, as it were, or commandments of men, as we saw in verse 14 of our chapter 1 of Titus, but we find that there are false teachers today. You know, there's all kinds of voices out in the world calling for allegiance. And 90% of those voices are from false prophets. Those that are not teaching, not even uh, holding what we consider these truths that Paul was talking about, but not even preaching Christ. They're not even uh, the uh, fundamental uh, doctrines of the Word, but they're teaching some kind of a false doctrine. Now, let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and notice what the Apostle Paul has to say about these false teachers, about these ones who are uh, calling allegiance to uh, men all over. In chapter uh, 11 of Second Corinthians, let us notice in verse 13 through 15 where the Apostle Paul is speaking here, and he says, "For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works." Now here we find that, uh, I believe that Paul is saying, judge every man's ministry. Any man that stands behind the pulpit, listen to him And find out what he's talking about. Because Satan has his ministers in the, pul- in the pulpit. Now remember, Satan is a religious being. Satan fell because he said he wanted to be like God. Now Satan's not in the gutter, he's not down in the taverns, he's not in the brothels. Those aren't his areas of activity. Man's going to do that out of his own basic, uh, own base nature, out of his own damaged nature. He's going to do those things. He's alienated from God anyway, so Satan doesn't have to worry about it. Now, Satan would wrap his righteous robes around him and cross the street rather than to be involved in that kind of an activity because he wants to be like God. And as a result, he changed himself into an angel of light. And uh, we see that he has his ministers in the pulpit, and that's where Satan is active is in the pulpit. That's why it's such a uh, a responsibility as well as a struggle to preach the gospel because when a man stands behind the pulpit and preach the gospel Satan's contesting that because he doesn't want the gospel to go forth and he has his ministers behind the pulpit and notice what it says Satan is a liar from the beginning he's transformed himself into an angel of life and no more with this and also we find that he has his uh, ministers of righteousness now you ask yourself well, what's that man preaching if he's talking about man's righteousness or something that man can do or that little spark of divinity that if you fan it it'll build up and anything that'll lift up man out of his own righteousness you know his good work out way is bad this man the minister of satan that's not of god but if you have a man who's preaching christ's righteousness then you have your uh, key to determine whether or not you have a man that is a minister of satan or a minister of christ is how they handle righteousness whose righteousness are they uh, presenting If it's the righteousness of man, according to this verse of Scripture, we find that these are ministers of Satan. If he's preaching Christ's righteousness, then we can back him as a minister of the gospel. Well, we see that you could go ahead and you could use Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19, or 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, uh, to see that there are other false teachings going on, and even some are being perverted from the truth. Believers who know the truth are being swayed away, and they're in that Timothy passage, well, we find that some are going to get heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, and they're going to forbid marriage and abstain from meats and so forth. And so we see that there is uh, a real uh, pressure today upon uh, the ministry of teaching the truth. And there's many areas in which uh, we can find this, and you're all familiar with many of them. But uh, we see that Paul talks about that we have to rebuke a false teachers. And not only are we to point them out and to... Uh, and to rebuke them in that sense but let's notice something interesting that Paul says back in Romans chapter 16 about these false teachers in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 we find Paul saying I beseech you, brethren mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them Let's not join hands with these fellows who are preaching some perverted doctrine. You know there are a lot of uh, areas going on today where, I don't know how you have it in your ministerials, but sometimes they've got men in there who are unsaved, who know nothing about the gospel record, and they want uh, you to join in with them and take hands, and we're going to have some sort of a program in the community, and and, uh, they're going to be a a big thing. No, Paul says to mark these fellows that are causing uh, these divisions, that are causing offenses contrary to the doctrine, and avoid them don't associate with them don't have your fellowship with them there are other good fundamental believers who you can fellowship whom you can fellowship with and you don't need these other uh, fellows but god's word tells us mark them and uh, avoid them he tells uh, titus to rebuke them sharply and then if you want to go to philippians chapter 3 we find that he has something else to say about marking and about this uh, false doctrines that are going around in verse 17 of chapter 3 of Philippians. We find here, they says, Brother, be ye follow together of me? And mark them which walk as ye have us, for example. Let's mark these men. Mark these who are causing contention and avoid them. And mark those who are following after Paul and who are holding forth the doctrine of the grace of God. And use them as an example and, and have your fellowship in that area. And so I think that once we know how to uh, recognize the truth, then as we hold to that truth and we see those who aren't holding the truth, then we have to recognize these false teachers and not only recognize them, but rebuke them and to avoid them. And once we have been able to recognize the truth and rebuke the false teachers, then I think as we go back to Titus in that last verse in our text where he talks about good works, we can rejoice in good works. And here's an, here's an area that maybe we can get into a little bit in our discussion, but Paul tells us in verse 16 of our text in first, uh, uh, Titus in chapter 1, it says, they profess that they know God, but in work they deny him, being, an abominable, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work, reprobate. Now, you know, the truth contains uh, the uh, portion about good works. Here may be an area where we should take some time to, to really start uh, thinking about this. You notice in uh, Ephesians, in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, we all teach this, I'm sure, and we say the word, but what about our good works? What about the good works that are, are coming forth from our churches and from our people? Do we really put into practice what we've been teaching? Now, we know that there are groups of people who, uh, who their, own, uh, their only purpose seems to be in ministering to the needs of others. That's good. I'm not opposed to that. I believe that the spiritual needs would come first in my own preference, but I believe that sometimes we've become uh, so uh, uh, what would I say, concentrating upon teaching the doctrine that we've never really put it into practice. The fact that we've got to do good work. Here, sure, these people are doing lots of good work, and we punch them, and we say, "Oh, they're all one-sided. They got all good work, and they're not preaching much of the truth." But we don't really recognize that we're standing way over here, many times preaching nothing but the truth. But as far as the community is concerned, they say those people are dead, they're cold, they don't do anything. Now I wonder, have we really taken much uh, thought to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8? Let's go back there just for a minute. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he has denied the faith. And this is what we're talking about, the truth, the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now I think this has primarily the idea of the family, that when the parents get to to the point where they can no longer support themselves, the children should be responsible. Our families, whatever the situation might be, we're responsible for our family. Now we've gotten pretty well to the idea that it's the government's responsibility to take care of those that are in need. And so we sit back and we don't think about our responsibility. But now, isn't it true that we have a church family And isn't there an area in which we have people in our own church congregations who are in dire need? And it's those people that the government never seemed to help. Now I wonder how many of uh, the churches actually have some program within the framework of their uh, church budget where they have a fund or something that can be used to help those that are in dire need in their own church. I'm sure that there are certain areas where we have elderly people, those that are sick, those that are infirm. For some reason, they can't uh, meet all of their needs. And the government, <laughs> boy, oh, boy, the agencies seem to have all the restrictions in the world that keeps them from getting the, need they, 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 uh, they, uh, the help that they need. But, boy, they can hand it to anyone else. What about our own family of believers, our own local assemblies? Are we meeting that responsibility as part of the truth? What about our good works? What are the good works? that we can involve ourselves in. I wonder sometimes if it wouldn't be good if we just kind of stop and look at ourselves and look at our own thinking, how are we holding this portion of the doctrine of the faith, of the good work? We know we're supposed to do good work. We say it, we teach it, we preach it, but do we do it? Have we made it applicable to our own lives? Have we put it into practice in our own local congregations? Have we met our needs of our own people? It says here that it's taken care of not of his own. is worse than an infidel. But what about if we don't even take care of these in our own congregation? What about the neighbor next door? How are we going to witness to him and tell him we love him if he's over there hungry and we say, Brother, I'll pray for you. That doesn't fill up the stomach. That doesn't help him. I think there's an area in which maybe we're uh, we're a little lax in the truth. And this is our idea of being healthy in doctrine. I think we should look at all of these portions as being part of the truth. Well, we trust that as we've just looked at a few of these ideas that we have here in Timothy concerning uh, recognizing the faith and recognizing the false teachers and rejoicing in good works. I trust that it might have given you some meat to think about.